Science is God, and then ology is the study of. And so we would say this is the study of God. And if you were to kind of broaden that out, maybe the study of God in, in how he interacts with humanity, maybe be a, a way to kind of add to that. So that's something we'd say when you're studying theology. Now, in the 930 hour, if you're not in this so far, we're studying systematic theology. And it, it's like a way of organizing the Bible. Say, what does the Bible teach about God? What does the Bible teach about Scripture? What does the Bible teach about the church? And it asks that question, and then it lays out in an outline form, helps you understand that. And so that's one thing we're doing early on. And then to, today, we're studying what they call biblical theology. Both of these are biblical in, in nature, both are going to be biblically oriented, but biblical theology is something of, of really kind of tracing the storyline of Scripture, moving through the Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation and say, what, what concepts are there running through the whole Bible? And so if you were, um, it really is the idea of getting a 50,000 foot view, like going up and, and getting up there really high and saying, what do I learn about sin as I travel through the canon or something like that from Genesis to Revelation? One of the ways I thought about this is the gospel. If you were to say, uh, for instance, like, uh, Jared, what is the gospel or how do you unpack the gospel? If I were a systematic person, I probably would outline it this way. God is creator. Man is sinful. Christ is our Savior, and we must respond in repentance and faith to that. If I were like doing it from a biblical kind of theology format and telling the story, I would start with creation, then I would go to the fall, then I would speak about how God is the redemption or the how salvation is brought to, together, and then I would talk about the new creation, and lay out for people and say, this is the ultimate end of those who trust in Christ, kind of. I would follow more of a storyline. So that, for me, kind of helped me lay that out. Now, in the church, if you were to, uh, to like, go to the average church in America, and you sat down and said, give me uh, the basics of the faith, or lay out for me how the Bible's structured, I think you would think, wow, somebody could sit in a church for 30 years and not really know the basic foundational truths or the structure of the Bible. This is the kind of thing that would help combat that. Because some people, for instance, here today, maybe you didn't go to church much as a kid. And so a lot of things would be very new to you. You still have a lot of exposure. Some people grew up, went to churches where maybe uh, the pastor, and we usually like, if you're new here, we would go through books of the Bible and unpack them from like chapter one, verse one to the end. And, and, and some people would go to that kind of, a church, not like that, but rather a church where they say, uh, this week we're going to say how to fix this in your life. And they'll pick verses out. And so what happens is over time, it's kind of like, if you're reading a novel or something, you pull little excerpts and you're like, I don't really understand how this all fits together. So that happens sometimes. Some people grow up to, in church, go to Sunday school, and they know the stories. So if you went to Sunday school and you heard about David and Goliath, and they told you, be like David and Goliath. And so the stories are really like moral stories. And you think, man, oh, David, there are some good stories about him. And they're in your head, but you don't understand how David fits within the big picture. And so a lot of those things happen. Now, the last thing is maybe you went to the services and Sunday school and then maybe like somebody said, read the Bible in a year and you started reading through and you get to Leviticus and you're like, 
oh my goodness, like how do you read through this? Or you get, say you're really, you know, excited and fired up. You get to Deuteronomy or something like that. And you're like, man, this is the hardest thing I've ever read in my life. Like, how do you put it all together? And so I think what we're going to try to do is, is say, okay, let's get the structure. And hopefully wherever you find yourself in Scripture after you walk through this, you'll be able to kind of see, okay, I, can't, I think I fit here. And this is kind of the basic gist of what's going on in this particular portion of Scripture. Now, just because we kind of got to lay some groundwork, we talked about some of this earlier this morning, but I'm going to kind of bring in, fill in a few more gaps here. Uh, when we say, ask the question like, who wrote the Bible? If you're somebody who were to ask you that, if you're, when you're thinking about it, who wrote the Bible? Some might say, and really like more, uh, there's some people that would say it is just totally of man. They would say men wrote the Bible. Other people might say, no, that's God's word. God wrote the Bible. Maybe a better way to say that is under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, men composed God's Word. And we talked about this morning that God's Word is perfect and without error. And yet, God used human agents to write it. And so it's important for us to understand that and grasp that. Now, uh, Lanny kind of pushed towards this, and I just want to mention it one more time. Uh, one person, at, like in a catechism that we just read, I think the last questions this morning, how do we know that the Word of God, or, or how do we know that the Scripture is the Word of God? Or what evidence do we get from that? We know that it is by the heavenliness of its doctrine, the unity of its parts, and its power to convert sinners and build up saints. That's how that question's answered. And you got to think about that. Sometimes when people think about like holy books in general, the Bible or this or this or this, listen, what distinguishes the Bible as, as, a, as a book that is, is, is so helpful for transforming us and changing us? The reason that you might say it's different and distinct from all others is that it is a, the doctrine is, the primary teaching is that God saves by grace alone. That it is a grace-centered teaching. We are teaching people that they are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It has nothing to do with their ability to save themselves. We say, the Bible teaches you don't get to God by climbing up the ladder and reaching Him by your efforts. God came down to us to rescue us. And so I think it's important that we understand that. The Bible is not man's invention, but God graciously allowed men to participate in it and empowered them to do so, inspired them to write the Scriptures. And so what we have is the Holy Scripture. It is God's Word, but it was, it was written by human authors under the inspiration of the Spirit. Now, the Bible speaks of that. I'll just mention a, a verse here we just read recently in our study of 1 Thessalonians. Paul said, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so I think it's important. The Bible mentions that over and over. Now, let's talk about how the Bible is structured. Because again, if we're going to get the big picture, and that's what we're all about during this study, we just have to think about it for a moment. There are 66 books written over a 2,000 year period with 40 different authors. 
And so the, the issue of kind of trying to think through the structure of the Bible, you need to know that. There are two testaments. If you have a Bible here this morning with you, you can go to the front of it. You'll see the, all the different books probably listed out. There, there are two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the other thing just to know about the Bible is it's, it's written with different genres. And what I mean by that is you have... Uh, narrative portions where they tell stories. You have apocalyptic portions where it talks about the end and the future in ways that are hard for us to kind of, uh, in images where, where they don't really like make sense and just, they're not as cut and dry. They're just an image of saying, okay, here's the, here's what's going to take place. And you see this figure kind of unfold and these different figures kind of come before us. There's wisdom literature. And, and, and that's something where, where you'll see where he'll lay out. And sometimes it's in a poetic fashion. Uh, there, there's the Gospels where there are messages given. There's law where it's laid out structure by structure. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. There's all different kinds of different literature within Scripture. Now, in the Old Testament, there are uh, 39 books. And if you're kind of writing this down or thinking about this, you could think, the first aspect of the Old Testament is there's a historical kind of picture in, in our Old Testament. Genesis to Esther kind of tells a story. And it tells a story of God's uh, people. It starts with creation and then you start following along and you see God interacting with his people in Genesis through Esther. And it's kind of the historical part where you walk through step by step. You see God here saving his people calling them to, to obey Him, and we also see Him drawing near to them. All of that unpacked in the Old Testament from Genesis to Esther. Then you, get from, you go from Job, Job to Song of Solomon. That's the wisdom portion. If you're sitting down thinking through that, you, you think Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, they're all wisdom literature. And they speak a lot of really, um, they, 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 they allow us to see in a very clear way something of what it... Uh, the joys and sorrows of life, very personal aspects. There, there's things that are perplexing in a fallen world, and they help you navigate through life on a very personal level. And we see that. Some people read the book of Proverbs, for instance, one a day their whole life. And there's 31, and so they read step by step by step, and they just say, how can I walk in wisdom? The third portion of the Old Testament is the prophetic portion. That's Isaiah through Malachi. Now, the prophets were used, one way the prophets were used was to like confront the sins of the people. They took out of the law, the law of God given earlier in the Bible that we read when we study that. They took the law of God and said, look, see this law? You are breaking the commands of God and you're under the judgment of God. That's what the prophets would say. At the same time, they would give people hope and they would speak of a future that hadn't come yet. And so we just kind of say, if you're structuring out the Bible, you got the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, you have the historical, the wisdom, and the prophets. When you go to the New Testament, it's broken down by the Gospels, history, and letters, and then apocalyptic. And we'll just talk about that. The Gospels are written in a way, if you're looking at your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when you look at those, those Gospels are... Um, they are the story of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, but they're not just that. If you read the Gospels as just a historical account, you haven't read them accurately. They are messages. It is like if you were to read the Gospel of Matthew, you would say, <clears throat> Matthew was writing something that he had probably been preaching for 30 years. 
He writes it down in a way where you can see a message coming out. He is he's calling people to trust in Christ, to repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He's 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 unpacking that so that you respond. It's it's like a sermon being preached. They're also the gospels are like portraits. If I was to paint a portrait of Jesus as a gospel writer, Matthew might paint Jesus in this light. Mark paints him in this light. Luke paints him in another light. And what happens is, as you see the different portraits, you can get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. And so if we go back, the Old and New Testament, in the New Testament, we're looking at this, and we say there's the Gospels. And Gospels are messages. They're, they're, they're certainly historical, but they are messages that are to call people to trust in Jesus. The next portion is history. That's the book of Acts. It's the history of how the Spirit of God worked through the apostles to establish the church. That's, that's what it does. It's the Spirit of God working through apostles to establish the church. Now, it's the descriptive book. It's a descriptive book. What I mean by that is it's not like you read the book of Acts and say, oh, look what happened at Pentecost. That should happen every Sunday. It is describing what is taking place as God establishes His church. Not all of those things in Acts are things where we say that's going to be repeated every time. It just, it's not that way. It's written as a, it's a descriptive rather than prescriptive. We're not saying every little aspect of what happens there will happen in this church exactly how it happens. And so I think it's important that we note that it's totally true. It's totally scripture, no doubt. But we just have to think through that when we're reading historical accounts. The other thing, and I will give you another example. The Apostle Paul had a Damascus Road experience where Jesus spoke to him and blinded him. And somebody had to lead him into a town because he was blinded when he became a believer. And then God sent someone to pray over him so the scales fell off his eyes. If you said every time someone's converted, that's what's going to happen, then none of y'all in here are. It's a description. So it's important that we note that because we have to think through that when we're reading the Bible. How these different genres are to be studied and read. The next portion, Gospels, History, Letters. The letters are, you've got two different types of letters. You've got the Pauline letters, which are basically the letters written by Paul. And those letters, when you read those from Romans through Philemon, you're saying, this is Paul speaking to churches. Sometimes it may be a more general way, sometimes very much more specific. But basically what Paul did was, he, and you read this in the book of Acts, of the history of the church moving forward, and Paul would go through towns and he'd go on these missionary journeys, and as he traveled through town, uh, these town by town, God would allow him to preach the gospel, people would believe, churches would be established, and then Paul would like have somebody come to him and speak to him and he would write back letters sometimes very situational saying like the church is struggling with this doctrine he would write a letter send it to them so that they could read it and understand things more clearly god used him to write the the scripture and and way that he did that was using it him to to write to churches specific churches uh in in, in uh, that he had traveled to or maybe somehow he'd come in contact with then there are general letters or epistles, Hebrews through Jude, and those are written by a number of different authors. And they, again, 
all of the, the letters help formulate a lot of the doctrines of the church to, to understand those and unpack them. The letters are going to lay those things out for us. You might say it like this. The book of Acts would tell someone's story or someone's conversion, but the letters explain uh, kind of how they are converted, how people are converted, how people come to faith in Christ. The last portion of the New Testament is apocalyptic. That's the, that's the revelation. It explains the end of history. It's written to encourage the church that God would judge the earth and save his people and they will dwell with him forever. That's the Old and New Testament. Is that good? Y'all got all that down? <laughs> the Old Testament. How's it laid out? Historical, wisdom, prophets. The New Testament. How's it laid out? Gospels, history, letters, apocalyptic literature at the end. That's kind of the structure. If you get that structure, it helps you like kind of pull these things together. But you got to move beyond that because then you got to say, What's kind of the movement of, of this thing? What's really, what's the bigger story behind it? Now, one other thing, just kind of people, how people read the Bible. That's the other thing just kind of think about. Sometimes when people read their Bibles, um, really depending on who they studied under, they have different concepts of what the Bible is. Uh, sometimes people think of it as like a facts book. Have you ever, men are like, ugh, they make me mad about this kind of stuff. Because you sit down with a group of men, sometimes like older men, they just love to tell you like a history lesson. They're throwing up all the things that they know, and you think, is that really, I mean, does that impact your life at all? I mean, if you want to win Bible trivia, that's cool, but is that really what we're trying to do here? Is like pull all the history stuff together and say, uh, here's a bunch of facts. You know how many miles it is from Jerusalem to Bethlehem or what, you know, and it's like, oh, that's awesome. You won, you know, but but I'm just saying I'm just messing with the older guys. But I think that's important. And I'm sure some of you uh, are, are maybe lean that way. Another way is like a counseling book. And you think that the, the and, and this happens a lot of times in our culture where it's like you, you, you hear like even see sermon titles and it's it really is about fixing your issues. And so the Bible primarily is like kind of making it's how to make your life more whole and happy and that kind of thing. Uh, the, another one is uh, literature or science books. Some people kind of just say, hey, it's a piece of literature or they'll try to prove their case for why creation versus evolution thing. They're going to try to do that by reading the two chapters in Genesis that talk about creation and they're going to build a whole case and they could talk like write a thousand pages on that. And you're like, is that really what the point of Genesis one and two is for you to build this thing like that? Or is it really something bigger than that, that God's telling a broader story? If God wanted us to give us a science book, then it would be a science book. It's not a science book. And I'm not saying it doesn't address some of those things. It's just not primarily that. Another way that people would read it is maybe like a diet book. Some people say like we do Daniel's diet, water and vegetables everybody should do that you know if you want to be healthy do what daniel did you'll be the wisest person in the kingdom you know but but there there is that kind of deal so we have to say but is that really what the bible was written for is for us to learn how to eat really you know like vegetables and drink water i mean i i, I just think it's important that we see that some people read it as a devotional book i remember growing up sometimes people say every morning i get up and i'm not i'm joking like you understand like i'm not saying all those things are wrong. But I just, every morning I get up and I just throw my Bible open and it lands somewhere and I close my eyes and 
put my finger on the paper and there's a verse and I read it and be like, that's God's word for me today. Right? And it's just so like somehow you think, well, maybe maybe you need to do a little better job of that because you can come up with anything by picking out a verse out of the middle of nowhere. But it's really dangerous to do that. And so we have to say, when we study the Bible, we have to think with a big picture in mind so we can rightly understand and unpack it in its fullness. Now, if you were to say, what are we trying to accomplish in this study? I would say it is to see the overarching story of how God created a world. He is the king over his creation. He created humanity in his image so that they might be his image bearers that that live out and glorify him in all that they do and work under his rule and authority and experience his blessing. But they rebelled. And in their rebellion, God reached out to rescue them. And one day he 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 sent his son to rescue them and ultimately his son will return to fully and finally rescue us. So the big picture is that there is this creator God who's king of the universe. We rebelled against him. He rescued us through sending his son. And one day he'll finally restore all things and make all things right. And all those who reject him have no hope. But those who accept him will have eternal life with him. So I think it's important that we see that. A couple of passages that unpack this. Speaking of Jesus, they say, In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. He is the one to rescue. He said again, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to rescue His people. John 5.39, Jesus said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about Me. God makes a promise to rescue His people, and He does throw through His Son. And it's very clearly unpacked, and we'll see that throughout this study. Now, and just go back to this one more time. We, we do have to do that. And we have to see the big picture. Because I think it is kind of like. And I don't know if y'all, any of y'all do this. But when, you, you know, when we fly. We see that kind of level. Where we can see the big picture of things. Sometimes maybe you've flown at a, uh, at a lower level. And you can really see specific stuff. Or maybe you're like me. And maybe you haven't flown just a ton. But you've been to Google Earth. And you get on there. I do this when I'm going to fish and hunt. Uh, somewhere new, I'll go out there and I'll study these maps and I'll back up real high and I'll look at maybe the whole lake and then I'll zoom in on a portion of the lake and kind of get that in my mind and I won't totally get it in my mind, I'll carry my iPhone and watch it as I'm driving along but but it shows me and it shows me kind of like the way the, the lake moves and where things are going and there's so many times that for me if I can't see that big picture it's hard for me to really grasp it And so for us, when we study the Bible, we do have to get on the ground level sometimes, but sometimes we have to go up to 50,000 feet, and then we go back down, go back up, and go back down. And that's one of those things that really helps us track and understand. And really, another thing, just it gives us the ability to kind of study the whole counsel of God. And so it's very helpful for us to do that. Now, what is the central kind of unifying theme as presented in this book uh, of Scripture? That's something we have to just address going into this study. 
The way that they explain it is it is about the kingdom of God. And you can put that down and just think that through. Some people would say, well, the best way to talk about that is the covenants that God makes with his people about entering into his kingdom and staying or walking in his kingdom. So you could say it's the central theme is kingdom through covenant. What's a covenant? It's God making a commitment to his people. God makes an agreement with them. He says he's going to do something. And, and so when he makes this covenant, we say it's kingdom through covenant. It's how do you enter into God's kingdom, be a part of his kingdom. It comes about through understanding the commitments that he makes to us. Now, if you were trying to def- define the kingdom of God, you could say it's God's people and God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's people and God's place under God's rule and blessing. Now, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We went through a lot of stuff, but most of you, if you've been through the Bible for some time, you might get that. We looked at the structure of the Bible, starting looking at Old and New Testaments and how they break down. Now I want to talk to you about how you think about the kingdom walking through the whole Bible. And that's what we'll do kind of for the final part of our time. So you can write this first one down. There's eight different ones, and we just talked about it. The first is the pattern of the kingdom. The pattern of the kingdom. If you start in the Bible in Genesis, you'll see God creating a world and making man in his own image. Here, God's people are Adam and Eve living in God's place in the garden. And they're under his rule as they submit to his word. And as a result, they experience his blessing. It's this picture of the pattern that's designed and lays out for us how things ought to be. When you go to Eden, like in your Bible, and you're reading through that, when you're reading it, you're saying, like, this is a wonderful place. This is a place filled with joy. This is the way things ought to be. Look, God's walking with the people in the garden. Look, Adam and Eve are, are, are naked and unashamed. Look, all these things are as they ought to be. Look, it's, it's, it's a place that where everything, the ground is producing and the, things are wonderful and there's all these fruits and it's beautiful vegetation and all all of that stuff there's a river running through it it's it is like this beautiful place that's the pattern the way god designed things to be but then when you get to genesis chapter 3 we see the second one the perished kingdom this is what you hear people say often the fall and what we see there is sadly adam and eve think it would be better to live independently of god They choose to rebel against God. The results are disastrous. They turn away from Him. As a result, it causes friction between them. It causes trouble within the created world that they're living in. Everything is broken. There's, they're really, they're cast out of the garden. No longer are they in God's place there. They're no longer God's people in a sense there. We see all of that unfold and they're under a curse. Everything's broken. Everything's dark. And, 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 and it's like this picture of like the, the paradise has been lost. And instead of facing just God's, this, the joy of all the things that God created in their rebellion, it brought curse. The third one, the promised kingdom. So in all of this brokenness, as you're reading it and you're watching it unfold, God makes a promise. He makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to reestablish his kingdom. He says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a people and I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to allow you to enjoy blessing. Now, here's the thing. 
there's times when you're reading that and you're reading the Bible from Abraham all the way through uh, the Old Testament before you get to the time of the prophets and you're reading it and you're saying like there, there's little glimpses of just joyous times where God's people are experiencing his blessing. They're living in his land. But most of the time, right, what's behind all that is sin and darkness. You're thinking like these people are kind of rebelling against God and they're not obeying him and they're not walking in his ways. The next one you get to is really like in that whole time after the promise is the partial kingdom. And it really is. It's the picture of the nation of Israel. And, and they really they get God's law. They get to experience his salvation. They get to move again into his land. They do have that prosperous period. But it's never quite fulfilled. The next step is in the Old Testament is the prophesied kingdom. This is where those prophets I mentioned earlier, when they're there, those prophets come in and they say, look, people, you're in rebellion. You're going to face the judgment of God. And not only that, he comes to them and the prophets will say, but there's going to come a time of hope where the Messiah, God's Messiah will come and rescue the people from their sins. So we go through the Old Testament, we start with the pattern, how things ought to be. We see the fall and it's perished, everything is broken. And God makes a promise and says, I'm going to rescue you people. And then you see it partially fulfilled, but it never really is right. And ultimately things go downhill. And then you get to that prophesied kingdom where they say, God's going to judge the people. And one day he's going to bring hope. That leads to the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see the present kingdom. There we see the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 400 years passed between the Old and New Testaments. And after that, Jesus comes on the scene. And we see the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has come. The king comes. And we see in his life, in his teaching, in his works, all those things proclaim he's the one to rescue the people from their sins. All of those display that. He had the power to make everything right. And then you look at it and you go, well, how's he going to make everything right? He does it in the way that no one would have ever dreamed that he would do it. He goes to the cross and dies for the people's sins. And what God does is after he dies, he's buried, he's raised again. And it proves that God was satisfied with what Jesus did and that his rescue operation had taken place. That leads to where we are. The proclaimed kingdom. We live in the time at this particular time in history where the church is proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come, that the king of the universe has come. He has rescued his people from their sins. The church is is here to go out into the world throughout all the nations and to proclaim that Christ came That he came to rescue us from our sins. That God was satisfied with the rescue that Christ uh, uh, accomplished through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. We see that he's satisfied. And what happens is, in this we see that we're living in a time, the last days, where we are proclaiming throughout the world that Christ has come for everyone to believe in him and be saved. And then the final part is the perfected kingdom. This is that picture Of the new heavens and the new earth. One day Christ will return a second time. 
He will separate God, His people from those who rebel against Him. He will send those who have been in rebellion and did not accept His salvation to hell. And He will take those who have accepted that and, and, and bring them with Him. He will, he will annihilate all His enemies. He will set up a place for His people. The picture is of heaven coming down, the new heavens and the new earth coming down uh, and being reconciled, both heaven and earth and everything being restored. And it be the most joyous place where we'll dwell with God forever. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation will gather around the worship of God and live with Him forever and ever. Now, why the big story? Why do I need to know how the Bible unfolds? Why do I need to know that God is the King of the universe, that man rebelled against Him, that God brought about salvation, that He's going to restore all those things? How does that help me? And I just think it's important that you kind of nail that down and then we'll be done today. The big picture allows you to really understand the parts. It allows you to follow the storyline that God is rescuing His people. It allows you to see that progressively. It's building. There's like building blocks. It's helping you see that day by day. And as I see that, I can understand my own story. You might say something like, I don't understand my life. I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand this or that. I want to know God's plan for my life. You need to know the big plan. You need to know His plan for history in order to interpret what you're supposed to be about on this earth. And so I think that's a very helpful thing. See the big picture so we can rightly understand what we are to do and how we are to live in the present. Another thing would be, if you were to say, how does the big story help my marriage? Somebody could ask that. Somebody could say, how's this really going to change my marriage? Well, we could go back to the very beginning and say, when Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed, it meant they had complete intimacy. They had a relationship that was whole. They loved each other rightly. And Eve respected Adam rightly. Uh, Adam loved her rightly. It was a beautiful picture of true intimacy where they l cared for one another and loved each other. And there was harmony in their relationship because they had a right relationship relationship with God that was the pattern that's how marriage should be that's what we should be longing for in marriage we keep moving through the storyline though and we see in the fall that then relationships begin to be severed why because in the fall it's like not our not only is our relationship broken with God our relationship with one another is frustrated our relationship not only with one another but then living in the world makes it even more difficult because we know that when Adam and Eve were were, were given this curse we realized that raising children and working became difficult so that everything in life became more difficult if we keep reading the bible and learn more about marriage what we see is we find out that jesus came to redeem marriage to bring it to to restore it and what did he do that he set for us an example he says husbands love your wives as christ loved the church wives submit to your husbands as to the lord and what he's doing is he's saying this is how marriage should be restored the husband sacrificially loves the wife the the wife rightly submits to her husband and he brings together and says this is what a restored relationship would look like and how God can be glorified in your marriage. That's tracing the storyline. We see that. Another aspect would be work. We see a man's working the ground. The Bible says that at the very beginning with Adam and Eve, after they fell, Adam would go out and work the field and it would come forth thorns and thistles and that kind of thing would be hard for him to work the ground by the sweat of his brow he would be able to work you see the curse of work 
how work was broken in the fall. And basically what we would say is as you move forward through the scripture, we see how God is, is re, like bringing back rest and ultimately in the final end, how we will experience eternal blessing. And although we will be involved in many things in God's kingdom in the future, we will, not, we will know the joys of work in the end. The joys of living in a city and all contributing. The joys of being a part of that in the final new creation. So I think it's just important we say, as you read this, and I know it's a lot this morning. When we look back through the scripture, we are following God's storyline as it's revealed. We are seeing this picture unfold of how there is a God who created the universe. That we as humanity rebelled against him. That Christ came to restore relationship back so that we could be in right relationship with God. And one day he's going to come again and make all things new. And so for you today, if you're not a Christian, if you're not trusting in Christ for your salvation. You haven't really understood the story. That's the story. That's the hope we have. That's what we're longing for. The world is really messed up. The world was destroyed by the fall. People are broken. And Christ has come to redeem us, to restore us, and to make all things new. I pray this morning you would trust in Him as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for Your Word. We pray, God, that as we look at the big story of Scripture, that we would find ourselves meditating on it. When we're struggling in our home, in our marriage, pray that we would run back to the larger story. That we would see how things ought to be. How things are as a result of the fall. How they've been redeemed by Christ. How one day all our relationships will be whole. I pray things like that every time we face difficulties. When we struggle with relationships with one another in this room. We would run back to the story. And the big story is that. We will struggle with those in this world. This is an age of difficulty. Relationships are strained because of sin. That still remains within our hearts. And yet one day there will be perfect unity. Lord, most of all, we pray today we would remember that Christ will return. That all the sadness and all the darkness of this age, all the brokenness, all the death, all, all the destructive things, Lord, we know one day they will be taken away. That we will experience Eternal joy. And I just pray as a church that we would constantly tell ourselves and tell one another and tell the world of the grand narrative that you've unfolded for us in your word. In Christ's name, amen.